Hey guys, sorry, Delamont here. This is a recent Facebook Live that we've uploaded as a podcast. Enjoy. When you're up against a hostile room of people who don't want to be there, you need real strategies that get results. Welcome to From Hostage to Hero, the show that gives you practical advice you can use right now in the courtroom, boardroom, or classroom. Learn how to move your unwilling audience to one that is invested in what you're saying, eager to participate, and engaged in the process. Learn from the attorney whisperer herself, your host, Sari Delamont. Okay, if you are here and you want your fortune told, I'm your lady. <laughs> That's what I look like today. But um, we are wanting to know who is here. So let me know who is here. I'm kind of streaming from, oh, I am streaming that kind of from the Zoom platform to make sure that we get this recorded correctly. And I'm also attempting to monitor the comments over here, but Chrissy's going to be helping me out. So if you are watching, let me know that you are here. Tell me hi and give me a wave, a like, a love, whatever, so that I don't feel like I'm just talking to no one, which is what's so weird about these Facebook lives. Welcome, welcome, welcome. So today we are going to be talking about um, issue-oriented voir dire, which is something that I designed that you can get in depth in the From Hostage to Hero book. If you have not gotten the book yet, you can go to fromhostagetohero.com and get your copy there. If you do have a copy, I would so love a review. You can go to trialguides.com and give me a review there. And if you listen to the podcast, which is how most of you have found me, please give me a review wherever you listen to your podcast. Okay, so let me see if we've got some people here. See, that's the problem. If I click on this, Christy, then I start to hear it. So that's why I'm not going to do that. Okay, so I can't see who's here, but Christy can let us know. And if you have questions or comments, go ahead and post them as you are watching in the Facebook platform, and I will try to answer them as we go along. All right, so what I first want to start with when we're talking about issue-oriented voir dire is what the hell am I talking about with issue-oriented voir dire? So here's the gist. Here's what you need to know is that Every single communication situation, hi, Jim, hi, Bob, I just got to say hi to my peeps, um, hi, Joy, great. So every single communication situation falls into one of two buckets, okay? And I want you to think about this in your everyday life. So you're either tending to the relationship or dealing with an issue. All right, so take the, the example of getting your morning coffee at Starbucks, if that's where you in fact get your coffee, right? So sometimes you are in what I call issue mode. So that means that you are on a time constraint, you barely have time to get coffee, you are in there, you order, you grab it, you're out of there, right? So that is dealing with the issue. I gotta get my coffee, I'm out of here. Now let's say that you see the same barista every day and now it's a Saturday and you go in and it's not work time and you have time to chat and you're like, hey, Sarah, how are you? And she's like, I'm good. You seem to be pretty busy these days. Yeah, I'm pretty busy. Now, what are you doing? You're tending to the relationship. Notice how it, the context doesn't always determine which bucket you are in. Now, I want you to think about this in terms of your everyday lives, right? Outside of coffee. Sometimes you are dealing with the issue. Let's say you're talking about hiring a plumber with your spouse or you're talking to your team about your upcoming trial. 
And sometimes you are dealing or tending to the relationship. Maybe you take your whole team out for lunch for the holidays, or you and your husband go on a trip to celebrate your anniversary. I just want to be really clear that every single communication situation falls into one of two buckets. That's the first thing you have to understand as we now work our way toward issue-oriented voir dire. Now, before we continue talking about what voir dire is or issue-oriented voir dire, um, hey, Bob, hey, Daryl, Chris, and Vicki, um, I want to now tell you what the entire point is and what we're trying to do, at least in the From Hostage to Hero method when it comes to jurors. And that is not what you might imagine it might be, which is gain their trust or become the credible person or get our trial themes out there. No, the first and only thing that we are attempting to do when it comes to jury selection and jurors in general is to get what I call permission. Now think back when you hear that word permission, what you tend to think that means. So when I think back to when I was a kid, right? So permission was the big deal when you were a kid, you know, do I have permission to have this cookie? Can I go to my friend's house? Can I watch the TV show? Can I stay up late? Right? Parents held all the power. They are the ones that determined whether you had permission to do the thing you needed to do. Now, here's the thing about permission that you have to understand. And this is just going to like be so cool. It's going to just make your whole world. Because if you get this concept, you get everything about communication. And this is what I teach to all of my devotees. And thank you for being here. Hey, Mike, Chris, uh, Chrissy, and Ken. Permission is what it's all about. Even though we are no longer kids, we now still function in a world where people give or withhold their permission. And the, the, here's the difference. Now it's nonverbal. Now it's nonverbal. So permission, I'm going to, to, and you might want to write this down, I'm going to define it this way. Permission is how receptive someone is to us or a message. And I'll say that again. Permission is how receptive someone is to us or our message. And again, if you're here, let us know you're here. Give us a like or a wave or a hello. All right. That is the number one goal. You can think of permission like a door, right? So let's say that you're on this side of the door, you and the jurors are on this side of the door and trust, belief in your case, a verdict is on the other side of the door. Permission is the door, meaning you won't get over to your verdict. You will not get to trust. You will not get to all the things that you want unless that door gets open. You need receptivity with jurors and you need it fast. When we talk about trust, trust takes time to build. You do not have time to build that trust. Will you have it by the end of trial? I certainly hope so. And my method shows you how to do that. But at the beginning, you do not have the time to gain the juror's trust to do what I'm going to ask you to do. But what you do have time to get is their permission, which means their openness to hearing you out. Now, if you're following me so far, if you're joining us late, we've, we've covered every communication situation falls into one or two buckets, either issue or relationship. And that the number one thing to get about communication, the bottom baseline is permission, how receptive people are to you and your message. Now, here's the thing you have to remember about permission. It's not static. 
you can think of permission as like a thermometer. It's this thing that goes up and down. It's like taking the temperature of the room. When you have lots of permission, you can get away with lots of things. You can swear, you can do all kinds of things. When you lose permission, you can get away with little to nothing, right? So think about it as that thermometer goes up, the, the temperature of the room, it's warm, inviting, people are talking, but then you stick your foot in your mouth and it, boom, it drops down to the floor. So it's something you're constantly monitoring with anyone you're speaking to. Today, we're just talking about jurors in general. All right, so if permission is the goal, right? How do we get it? That's the next question is how do we get permission? Well, I'm gonna suggest that the number one way that we gain permission with jurors or anyone else is to meet them where they are. So when you meet people where they are and you give them what they need, permission begins to increase. And yet we have a very unusual idea <laughs> about how this works, right? We want to use the golden rule in communication. The golden rule is treat people the, other, the way that you would wanna be treated. And in terms of kindness, the golden rule is incredible. In terms of communication, it doesn't work so great because oftentimes the way that we would want to be communicated with is not how other people want to be communicated with. So we've got to use the platinum rule. The platinum rule says people treat people the way they want to be treated. Now, people always ask me, well, how do I know how people want to be treated? Well, non-verbally, of course, they'll tell you non-verbally if you know what to look for. That's why so much of my work is around non-verbal communication. But when it comes to jurors, we've got it so much easier. We don't need to read their non-verbals. I don't read jurors' non-verbals. I read your non-verbals. I teach you how to communicate non-verbally. But why don't we read jurors' non-verbals, at least initially? Because we don't fucking need to. Why? Let's go back. Issue versus relationship. What are jurors there for? Now, it was so interesting when I asked this question on, on Facebook on Monday, because so many of you, when I gave the option of issue versus relationship, you said relationship. I'm going to suggest that that is not what they are there for. Now, I know that's how you've been trained, especially those of you who've been to TLC, right? Relationship is king. Relationship with jurors, relationship rapport, all of that. And I am not saying that that is wrong. What I'm saying is that all communication comes down to one thing, and that is timing. What is needed now? So I'd like you to put yourself in the shoes of your typical juror. So they get their jury summons, you know, weeks, if not months before. And I want you to just think about what that's like for them in that moment. They open up that jury summons and they're reading it. I'm telling you right now, the number one thing on their mind is not, yay, I get to have a relationship with Mr. or Mrs. Attorney. Oh, hell no. They're looking at this going, are you fucking kidding me? They look at their calendar. Jesus Christ, this is, this is not good. How am I going to work around this? Right? That's what their first thing is. Notice how all of that is issue. When they get to the courtroom, if they ever do, <laughs> what is there now? What is now? Are they now ready for relationship? Oh, hell no. They have two questions and two questions on their mind. What do I have to do and how do I do it? outside of how do I get out of doing it? But if I have to be here, what do I have to do 
and how do I do it? Now, notice that both of those things are issue oriented. You know, I, I gave this example yesterday with the H2H crew, by the way, those of you who are like, what is the H2H crew? Am I not in that right now? No, right now you're in the big Facebook group for our From Hostage to Hero Facebook group, which is where we get to talk about the book, where we talk about the podcast, and where you get to ask me, the author, and the podcaster um, questions. The H2H crew is our private paid subscription where you get to work with me one-on-one -on, -one on all the things we're going to be talking about today. So yesterday on the H2H crew, I gave the example of, oh my goodness, it just left me. What was I just saying about, what was I just saying? Kevin, line, <laughs> chemo brain. Oh my goodness. Okay, I gave an example in H2H crew. I'm going to, let me think, let me think, let me think. Um, issue versus relationship. You're talking about permission and they, they just got there and they're thinking, what do I need to do and how do I need to do it? Yes, but there was something specific. Thank you, Christy, that I was thinking about that question. Well, anyway, it'll come to me. All right. So here's what we have to remember is that jurors are there for, oh, I know the example. So when I talk about when, when I like uh, at a party and people play games, right? So I don't love games in general. And the reason I don't like games is I don't, especially I don't play a lot of games, so I don't know the rules. And so if you get me wrangled and sat down and like, no, sorry, you're playing this game. The first question that I have is what are the rules? How do I play this game? That's what's also on the jurors mind. They are not there curious about who you are, curious about what the case is. Now, some of them are, but I've seen thousands of mock and actual jur juries. And I would tell you the majority of jurors are not there and curious about you or your case. That's what we want. That's what the from, whole From Hostage to Hero method is about, is to get them engaged. In fact, yesterday I was saying that active engaged juries are what drive up verdicts. That's what we want, but that's not what we have. They are there and they are there for issue. How do I get out of this is their first question. But once they're there, they're like, what do I have to do and how do I do it? Now, I want you to, to notice that because of your training, you tend to go to relationship. You think that that's what's going to make it easier on both you and the jurors. And I don't blame you for that. So you go into what are your hobbies? What are you guys reading? Here's the problem with that method, okay, is that the jurors are in the issue bucket. The number one way to decrease permission is to mismatch with someone. So they're sitting there thinking, what is this about? How do I do this? How long is this? When, how do I, can, I, can I get out of this? What the thing? And you come in with, what are you reading? What are your hobbies? Let's go on a date, which is what it sounds like. And they're like, does this guy or gal not get it? Permission goes down. Remember, permission increases when you meet people where they are. So I'm not suggesting that we never ask about hobbies or what they're reading or all that kind of stuff. Although I do think in limited time venues, that stuff is not helpful. What we need to do is meet jurors where they are and they are in the issue bucket. Again, contrast this with your normal everyday experience right? You go in, let's go to the coffee thing. And you are on a time constraint, your issue. You're like, yeah, can I get my tall soy light foam latte? And they're like, sure. How are you? How's your day going? And you're like, um, it's good. Um, 
can I get that? And they're like, mm-hmm, I'll, I'll write up. I'll be making that for you. So what you got going on today? And you're like, um, lots of things. Is it being made yet? Right? So <laughs> notice you get this. And yet somehow we do it all backwards in what ear. Now notice how the opposite is true. There's times where you're like wanting to chat it up and the other person isn't having it. This is called mismatching. And this is where all communication goes wrong is because we're not reading what people need. And jurors, we don't even have to read them. We know, those of you who've been in court even once, that jurors are not there for a relationship. Now, if your goal is to get to a relationship, I'm still going to suggest that you have to go through the issue door. It's the door that you have to go through to get where you want to go. Why? Because when you give people what they need, permission goes up. Now they're receptive to you. These people have watched TV. These people have been tort reformed. They think you are the slimiest slime of the slimes and that you're there to charm the pants off of them, to lie to them, to do everything you can to win your case. So the minute that you get in there and you're like, hey, how's it going? They're like, see, I was right about him or her. Notice the difference though when you come in and you go, thank you for being here. This case involves boom and you go right to the issue. Jurors are like, Oh, finally, I've been waiting sometimes eight hours and someone's finally going to tell me why I'm here. Listen, we tell jurors how important they are. They don't feel important. They've had to be forced to come there. They have to go through the metal detectors. They get that little sticker, that button that just says juror. They're told they can't talk to anybody. They have to ask if they have to go to the bathroom. They have to watch this Diane Sawyer thing they care less about. The magazines are out of date. They're waiting for hours and hours. The coffee sucks. Finally, they get in the courtroom just to meet someone who's like, hey, baby, what's going on? Not, it doesn't work. It doesn't work. Okay, so this is what I want you to get. Now, in addition, the from hostage to hero method is all about the premise that jurors feel like hostages, right? They're forced from their lives, plucked from them, dumped in a courtroom and told to do this thing they have no interest in doing. Asking hostages what their favorite, you know, book is, is like taking an actual group of hostages and asking what their, their favorite ice cream flavor is. It, it, it just, it doesn't square with where jurors are. You know, many of you have heard me talk about the scarf model and how the brain is under attack when it comes to jury selection, right? Scarf standing for status, certainty, autonomy, relatedness, and fairness, right? So their status is under attack. Why? They have to speak in public. Most people would don't want to do that. About private things, certainty is under attack. They don't know how this works. They don't have any, any, any way to really navigate this. Autonomy, can't choose to not be here. Relatedness, don't know anybody. Fairness, I, can, I don't want to be here. I'm supposed to be at work. So the juror's brain is under attack and your job from the beginning is to calm that shit down so that we can get them present and aware and invested in us and our case. Now, if you're with me so far, that every communication situa situation falls into one of two buckets, issue or relationship, Jurors are in the issue bucket, that what we're after is permission, okay? And that the way we get permission is to meet people where they are. That now brings us to issue-oriented voir dire. Now, before we talk about what issue-oriented voir dire is and how to put it together, let's first talk about how 
you tend to view Wadir in general? And that was my second question to the Facebook group this week. And that was, you know, what is the purpose of Wadir? And it was very interesting to have all these different answers to that question. And so what I'm going to suggest is that, and not even suggest because this is, this is true. The other way that you've all been trained is that Wadir is a process where you find your bad jurors and you kick them off. And that is the goal of Wadir. If you can get some other things to happen, great, but that is the primary purpose of Wadir. And I'm going to ask you how that's serving you. You know, I'm going to use a sports analogy, which we all know is going to go bad because me and sports do not mix. But I'm going to ask you to, to imagine that you are holding auditions, auditions, tryouts <laughs> for a basketball team, right? And so instead of running them through the plays, hopefully I'm saying that right, or um, having them do layups or whatever the hell else you would do in a <laughs> basketball um, tryout, you instead sit them all down and you say, okay, who here hates basketball? Yeah, I know there's some of you out there that hate, who here would never go to a basketball game no matter how much you were paid? Who here thinks basketball players are, are paid too much money? Yeah, yeah, I know you guys are out there. Who here thinks this about basketball? And then you go, you guys are out. And then you look at whoever's left and you're like, all right, Let's, let's go to the championships. There's a lot on the line, people. And you've never even talked to the actual people who are going to play in the championship game. I ask you, how much sense does this make? Now, it has been the, what's the word that I'm looking for? Oh, we're all loosey-goosey now. It has been the um, biggest issue of my life in, the, in this method that people have somehow gotten the impression that we don't look for bad jurors in the H2H method. Nothing could be further from the truth. Listen, if you go back to the basketball analogy and you start running them through the plays and watching them do their basketball things, you're going to know real quick who is a good player and who should not be on your team. The people who should not be on your team will not be on your team. We're not going to overlook the bad jurors. Hell no. But what we're going to do in the process is we're going to find our team to help us win the championship. And this is the piece that I think is missing. And I'm going to stop just a minute and read some of the comments before we go into actual what uh, issue oriented Wadir is. Hey, Paul, Joy says, my scariest jurors are the ones sitting silently with their arms crossed through Wadir. Yeah. And, and let me take a moment there, Joy, and talk about that because this doesn't always mean what you think it means, right? This just means issue-oriented juror. They just wanna know what they have to do and how to do it. So this could be your best juror, but this isn't the easiest juror, is it? We like this juror, the juror who's looking and mm -hmm, doing lots of this, right? But this juror is also the one that's very dangerous because they could be thinking this person's full of shit, but because I'm a nice and polite person, I'm gonna nod my head. This is why I don't read juror body language because it doesn't tell us the truth. I remember having a juror many times, but one particular time, do this the whole time in a criminal case where we had six jurors for four hours. Can you imagine plaintiff attorneys? But anyway, I started in criminal defense. What awakening that was when I came over to um, plaintiff world and you guys get like 20 minutes, maybe an hour. So the whole time you're sitting like this and um, 
we go to lunch and the attorney says to me, I'm really worried about that juror, just like Joy said. And, uh, and what do you think? <laughs> I said, I don't know what to think because you haven't asked him a single goddamn question, right? We hadn't even approached the juror because he was so scared of his body language. We go back in there, we ask him a question. He's a perfect juror for us. He was awesome for us. Okay, so, so this is the issue is we make up stories about body language. Okay, Vicky's saying, so true, I've been a juror twice. Yes, thank you, Vicky. Paul, while we talk about issues, they are checking us out. If we are believable, how we talk about the issues, how genuine, authentic, sincere we are, we are stating, starting a relation without asking personal questions. You got it, Paul, exactly right. So we're not saying that relationship can't be built. We're saying relationship is built by meeting people where they are now. Sometimes, many times, I wouldn't say many times, but in our mock jurors, juries in Portland, we will have a morning jury and an afternoon jury in our, in our studio classes or when I'm working one-on-one. -on -one. And we'll have a very relationship-oriented jury in the morning and they're all laughing and talking and then total issue-oriented in the afternoon. So sometimes the culture of a jury, this is why we form the group, by the way, to find out what culture lives there. Culture does not exist until the group is formed. Sometimes the group is more relational and you can be more relational and ask more relationship questions. None of this is set in stone, but in general, we know that jurors are in the issue mode at least when they get started. Think about the system, the system being court. The system is issue oriented. People are there to be judged. They're there to be taken to jail. They're there to have a money judgment against them. The system itself is issue oriented and that has an effect on the jury. Now you've been trying to reverse that. And I think that there are ways to do that but we have to at least start with issue if we ever have a hope of getting there. So great comment, Paul, thanks for that. Okay. Issue-oriented voir dire, what you're all here to hear about. All right, so here's how and why and what and all the things you wanna know about issue-oriented voir dire. So when I'm working with a client, what I say is, look, the jurors need to know what they're there to do and how to do it. So issue-oriented voir dire is all about making voir dire about the issues in your case, which should sound very familiar to many of you. But instead of throwing the issues out on the jury and seeing where the bad apples are, what we're going to do first is really get clear about who our good jurors are. Because if we are not clear about who they are and the things that they believe, then we don't know where they are or how to find them, right? If I asked you in your case, who's bad for your case? You could rattle off in, you know, for 30 minutes the juror that you hate and you do not want on your case. But if I ask most of you, who do you want on this case? You'll go, hmm, I don't have to think about that. This is a problem. Listen, what we're asking the jurors to do is a big fucking deal. And it's hard to do. And they're sacrificing a lot to do it. We want the best people possible. And the only way that we're going to get the best people possible is if we know who they are and go looking for them. So here it is. Write it down. It's also in the book. <laughs> Write it down. The first way to put what I call an issue-oriented voir dire, a voir dire that focuses on the issues in the case, is to create what I call an issues or fears list. What are all the things that are wrong in your case? I want everything on that list. I want 
Um, you know, the fact that the plaintiff was seen mowing the lawn, you know, uh, they, they, gave, they got footage on, on that. I want the fact that they were a stripper in their former life. I want the fact that the medicine isn't great in the case. I want the fact that you're worried about um, tort reform jurors. I, everything that keeps you up at night, I want on this list. In fact, it is required for you to even work with me. You got to come in day one. What's your fears list? I want to hear it. I want to see it. Then we go to what I call the ideal juror profile, right? This is probably going to be the most important document of your life for this trial, okay? So on this document, you have all of your fears. So let's say one of your fears is um, client was caught on video mowing their lawn after they said, you know, they couldn't do much or whatever. And so you need to put on this list in sentence form, this is what's so important about this, a belief that your fantasy juror, your juror that will save your ass will, will fly out of their mouth. Like if you just said to the jury, my client was, was, was seen, you wouldn't do this by the way, but let's just say you were saying, my client was seen mowing the lawn after um, back surgery. You know, what do you think about that? The statement that would fly out of your juror's mouth is the one that would save you. So for example, it might be, a, my, my ideal juror would believe that even after being injured, people still want to live as normal lives as possible. And, and in this case, he wanted to still do his part to keep up the house because his wife is having to shoulder most of the burdens. Or, or even something simpler, like men want to feel helpful, even if it hurts them physically right? Or whatever it may be. And you should have several. Now notice they are in sentence form. So you go through each one of your fears and you have three or four sentences that negate or nullify that fear. Meaning if every single, single juror on your panel, you ask this question and their answer was one of these ideal beliefs, you'd be like, I'm good. I got this locked up. Now notice how as you go through your fears list and your fears list should at least be eight to 10 things. I've seen them with 30 or 40 things and then we have a little bit of a problem, but at least eight to 10, six to 12, somewhere in there. Now you have three or four statements. You should have two or two or three pages full of beliefs. Now notice how it's not demographics. It's not women, age 40, whatever. It's like this, these are the beliefs my juror, my ideal juror would have to hold in order for me to win this case, not even win, but have at least a chance of winning, right? This is my, you know, you know how they have you do things when you're single and you're like, write out you, all the things on your ideal husband. This is your ideal husband, ideal wife, ideal juror list. But instead of going brown hair and, you know, no black hair for my ideal and brown eyes, um, that's my honey. Instead of having all those physical characteristics, it's here's all the beliefs that this person holds. Now, here's what's so great about this. Once you have that ideal juror profile, now voir dire becomes a breeze. Why? Because now you go and you look at that, those things and you say, okay, my ideal juror believes that men want to feel helpful even if it hurts, that um, even when you're in pain, um, you still try to live, the, the, the strongest people still try to live as normal life as possible, you know, whatever, you've got all these lists, then or these things listed, then you ask yourself, okay, what would I have to ask my jurors to see if they believe this? Now notice what we've done. What we've done is we've created voir dire backwards. 
we started by the questions, or I'm sorry, the answers. Here's all the answers to our questions. Now, what would I need to ask in order to see if they believe these things? Now, notice it's not, what do I have to ask to make them believe these things? Look, they're either gonna believe them or they're not. That's how we get to our bad jurors, by the way. So what's so great about this is not only does it help you create your voir dire questions by knowing what you're going after, because this is the thing, when I, work, when I work with people years and years ago when I first started, um, they'll go, what do I, what do I ask in voir dire? Uh, you know, like, what, what should we do in voir dire? And I always used to say, well, what do you want to know? <laughs> That's what we ask. What, what are you trying to get at? Now, this is what you're trying to get at. Now we actually have something we're working toward. We're trying to find out where these people are. Where are the people who believe these things we put on our list? And here's what I know for sure. They exist. They always exist. I've never had a case where we, they didn't exist ever. Now, as you ask these questions, right? So you say, why might someone, let me ask the group. In, in this case, you're gonna learn about, you're gonna learn that um, the injury caused uh, a, quite a bit, bit of, a back, of a back pain for, for the plaintiff. Let me ask the group, why might someone um, continue to do things that causes them pain when, when they're already in pain? And the jury saves you. Well, because they want to act normal. Well, if they're a male, probably because they want to be helpful and they don't want to be helpless. You know, they give you what is on your list. It's happening. You know, I've had so many people say, uh, I tell them all the time, the jury has everything you need. The jury has everything you need. And I had uh, uh, so many clients come back and go, sorry, you drilled that into our head over and over again during the studio weekend. And it wasn't until I got in front of that jury and they gave me everything that I need. I was like, she's so right. She's so right. But they can't give you what you need unless you know what you need. You've got to get so clear on here is the person that I'm looking for so that you ask the questions. And then as they answer, now something magical happens. Because if you have this ideal juror profile, you hand that over to your paralegal or your co-counsel, whoever can handle that for you or your jury consultant. And as you're asking the questions, they've got one sheet per juror of ideal juror profile. And they're just going, yes. No, yes, no, yes, they believe this. No, they don't. Yes, no. What a great way to evaluate your voidier on where these people stand. And obviously the people who don't believe those things, well, hell no, they shouldn't be out there mowing the lawn. The hell's wrong with them? Not our juror, but you find the bad ones and the good ones. H2H is not just about finding the good jurors. It's going in with a clear idea of who those good jurors are, which actually makes it even more clear of who the bad ones are. Now, the question always comes up, well, if I do this, if I identify my good jurors, won't the other side kick them off? And I'm gonna answer that in a minute. Let me go to some of your comments. So Ken is asking, um, <clears throat> what do you do when the court asks the water questions? Yeah, that's hard, Ken. That's super hard because you, you can't form the group. I'm assuming you're talking about in um, venues that don't have water or federal court. And this is, this is just where you have to have that kick ass opening and try to get some of these issue oriented questions to the judge if you possibly can ahead of time. That's why I'm just so fighting for voir dire wherever we can get it, even if it's just 20 minutes. I know my, my Colorado peeps only get 20 minutes and they can do a lot of issue oriented voir dire in 20 minutes. Vicki, if the juror knows someone who has done these things or they have done it themselves, um, they will hold the belief um, I'm not sure if I understand your question, Vicki. So if you could rephrase that, I could try to answer that um, a little bit better. So while she's doing that, let me, um, 
let me talk about the, the belief that, okay, I get what you're saying, sorry, but I start identifying all these good jurors and the other side's gonna kick them off. Well, here's where group dynamics come in. And Christy, if you could drop in that um, podcast episode, not the ideal juror, but the ideal group. Listen, here's the beauty of issue-oriented wadir is that when you start to talk about things that relate to your, your, your jurors, because for me, the case is never about you. It's never about your client. It's always about the jurors. We, we work very specifically to find the principles in your case. For example, sometimes someone will put on their ideal juror profile um, a very case-specific fact. So they might put something, I'll use an example from the book. So they might say, um, one of my fears is, um, or one of the things I want my ideal juror to believe is that they should have sent my client to a Mohs surgeon. Well, what's a Mohs surgeon? Well, a Mohs surgeon is a surgeon that is also um, a pathologist. And so they can go in there and they can take out the tissue. And especially in hard to reach areas like this was in the ear, they can go in there, put it under a microscope, see if they got all the, all the cancer um, tissue. If they didn't, they can go back and they can keep going. And that's, that's really the safest option. And that's not what happened in this case. That wasn't even uh, suggested to the client that a Mohs surgeon um, would be the right thing. And so on her ideal juror profile, she put, you know, she, the doctor should have referred the patient to a Mohs surgeon. And I said, well, that can't be on your ideal juror profile. And she said, well, why not? And I said, because we can't expect the jurors to know that it's too case specific. So when you have a very case specific thing on your ideal juror profile, what you can do is look for the principle underneath. So what's the principle that's underneath that belief? Well, the principle is that doctors should always tell patients about the safest option or the option that will help them the most. That's the principle. I can voir dire around that all day long without giving case specifics. So I wanna be really clear too, that issue-oriented voir dire is not about case-specific voir dire. You take your case facts and you ask yourself, what's the issue or the principle underneath this fact? That's what we're always wrestling. That's what jurors are always wrestling with at court. And that's why every case connects to every juror. Why? Because principles, as Stephen Covey says in Seven Habits, are eternal. They, are, they cannot be broken. And guess what? As a civil plaintiff attorney or criminal defense, you stand on the side of principles. Automatically, you fight for what's right. You fight for honesty. You fight for transparency. You fight for responsibility. Those are the principles that underline all of the issues in your case. So the issues in your case on your fears list are just pointers toward the principles that have been violated. And jurors, when they get that principles are violated, that's when they rally for you. This is why I do not want to see you wasting your time on hobby questions and all that bullshit when principle questions are so much juicier and amazing and you have the best conversations around that. You know, what should doctors do when there are two different options? Jury's gonna tell you, safest option. Yeah, what's important about that? Well, because it's a patient's life is at stake. This kind of wadir is so much easier for you to do. Why? Because jurors do all the heavy lifting. And by the way, this is where you get investment. So many of you, when you go to wadir, you're looking for information. 
your information gathering, your swirling around, what was your experience? Did you heal? Did you use insurance? Thank you. Or, you know, did the insurance pay? Whatever. What was your experience? You know, and it, we just swirl around information gathering. When what we want to do is investment. Investment happens when we get to the meat. What does it mean to be betrayed by your insurance company? What does it mean when a doctor does not uphold the Hippocratic Oath? What does it mean to our society when, when a company allows products to market that haven't been tested and hurts people? These are meaty, juicy, shall I say, dinner conversations because that's what what you should feel like. It should feel like you're having this great conversation about these juicy topics. Not everybody being bored by telling their stories about how they all were in a car crash. A simple slip and fall or a car crash can be the juiciest voir dire you have if you make it about issues, which really is about principles. Okay, so let's go back to Vicki. Um, like working through pain or whatever, then they will believe that mowing the lawn does not negate a back injury. Exactly, yeah. So some jurors will have that experience, but others don't. You don't necessarily even have to have the experience, Vicki, to believe that. You just need to know somebody. I know, for example, my mom, um, I was just talking about this. She, on Christmas Eve, about five years ago, we got there and normally Christmas Eve is the big thing in Finland. It's not Christmas day. And it, you know, the, normally the meal, the, all the appetizers are out and the tree is lit and the whole thing. And I mean, when I say the tree is lit, my mom puts live candles on trees. I know it's, it's a fire hazard, but she was laying in bed and I knew something was wrong. And she said her feet were swollen and that when she laid back, she could barely breathe. So having worked with y'all, I knew immediately she was in heart failure. I'm like, let's go. She's like, no, no, we had dinner. We opened gifts because she refused to go to the hospital. Okay. My dad, same way. So just knowing someone like that, my dad could like his leg be cut off and fall off and he'd be back in the backyard cutting up his tree. Everybody knows somebody like that. And so it doesn't have to be themselves, Vicki, as you know, because you're a kick-ass trial lawyer. It just has to just be reminded of that. So this, in a nutshell, is issue-oriented voir dire. And here's what I, I really want you to remember from this, is that one, every single communication situation falls into one of two buckets. We're either talking about the issue or, yeah, dealing with the issue or tending to the relationship. Jurors start in the issue bucket. They're hostages, okay? They're there to figure out how to get out of the situation. What you want is permission. You get permission when you meet jurors where they are. That is by telling them what's happening and what this case is about and how it affects them personally. When you get permission, let's say toward the damages part of your opening, now you can talk more about what they care about, what they think about, because you've given them something already. This is what I say, there's another um, podcast episode. Um, Chrissy, I don't know if I remember the name of it, but it's about how we take so much from jurors. We take so much. We take their time. We take their dignity. We take their status. We take their, we take everything from them. It's time we give them something. If the first thing that you come and when you come in court is you give them information. I mean, talk about them not being the most important people, but they don't know anything. I mean, think about military clearance. You know, the higher your clearance, the more you know. Jurors know nothing. It's like they're in on an inside, or they're not on an inside joke. And they're like, what is this all about? And everyone's talking about things and using terms I don't know. What if you were the one person that were to stand in front of them that day, six or eight hours after they got there, 
And finally, fucking give them some information and say, thank you for being here. Here's what this case is about. So I'd like to talk about blah, something case specific, and of course, something specific to them, which every case is about the jurors. Every case, every case, every juror has ridden in a car. Every juror has walked on a sidewalk. Every juror has been in a hospital. Every juror has used a product. Every case is about the juror. Your permission is gonna go through the roof if you are the person who stands in front of them. I remember, again, this is in the book, the case about the anesthesiologist who was molesting patients. And my client um, did a beautiful one and a half our issue-oriented what year, just, you know, what this case is about and, and, and what, you know, talking about all the issues in the case. And the next, the opposing counsel, he gets up, he pulls, he literally drags over this like big podium, almost like a desk, puts his elbows on it. And he's like, so what books have you guys read lately? And I thought we won, we won, we're done here. And we, we did it. We got the big, biggest recorded verdict ever in that county. Okay, going back to the, um, the group versus the ideal juror. So I'm not sure if I finished my thought there. When you form a group, now the group is going to gel around the principles in the case. One of the needs in, in Maslow's hierarchy of needs is belonging. So when you get the group, this is also why I nail so heavily that Wadir is a group exercise, not an individual exercise. So many of you go down the line and just interview or interrogate jurors one by one, which makes no sense to me. This is a group activity. What they have to do back in the verdict room is as a group. It's your job to teach them how to work as a group in Wadir. So you are having them not talk to you, but to each other. So, okay, so it's interesting that you said that. This juror says that blah, 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 but you're over here um, nodding your head. Are you agreeing with what this juror said? You have them talking to each other, discussing with each other, having this group activity, because what happens is now the group, once it's formed, will bring, take on a culture and they will rally around the issue. And here's the thing. They can try to throw off a juror. They cannot throw off the whole panel. That is the power of group dynamics is when you get the group rallying around the issues and the principles in your case, let's see the defense try to throw off everybody. It's impossible. And I've seen it happen every time. You guys tend to think of them as individuals. Once you form the group, and I, I'm happy to do another um, Facebook Live on that, we now are inoculated in many cases because they can throw off some people, but they can't throw off everybody. And that's the beauty of group Wadir. Okay. At this point, about 45 minutes in, I'm happy to take questions. So what questions might you have or comments um, about this? Okay, so Ken's coming, um, Ken has one here. What information should be communicated in a mini opening before the voir dire? This, is, this has been a hot topic in the H2H crew right now, Ken. Um, mini opening, yes or no? My sense of mini openings, which is not the question that you asked, um, is I don't like them. And here's the reason why, is because once we lay something out for jurors, the natural bias is to pick a side right there and then, and then once they've picked, it's like you can't unstick it. And, and we tend to think that the mini opening will help our side. It's much stronger, and social science backs me up on this, to have jurors come up with the ideas as if they were their own, even though we're dropping in the questions and then that's way stronger. So we say, what do you think about that? And they start saying the things we know are coming up because we've done our ideal juror profile. So in general, I would say, 
I do not like many openings because I really want it to be juror focused. I want the jurors to be the ones that shape what's going to be happening in trial. Everything we get is from them. And I don't want to mess with that. I think many openings do. However, if you are forced to do a mini opening and you want to keep it as neutral as possible, facts you know, specific, principle specific, here's what this case is about. Here are the principles you're going to be wrestling with. And we're going to be about to have a conversation about that. Because again, the more that we can get it from jurors and make it sound like it comes from them, this is what we, we talk about in the crew as the trial dialogue. So the trial dialogue is this. In voir dire, we ask questions. In opening, we answer them. But not really, because jurors have already answered them. In voir dire, we listen. In opening, we talk. In voir dire, we form the group. In opening, we lead the group. And so what we're doing in voir dire is we are sourcing the opening from our jurors. Meaning the jurors, the opening lives inside of them. We're sourcing from them what we're about to say. So for example, and you may have heard me say this again because I love this case. In the Dram Shop case in Texas, Midland, Texas that I worked, that was the $100 million case. Um, we, we asked the jurors, we said, what are some of the ways that at the society that we have come together to prevent drunk driving? Because we knew we were gonna say that bars have a part to play, but what we wanted to highlight is that everybody has a part to play. So some people said, well, I remember when I was in high school and we had the Mothers Against Drunk Driving. Like, okay, so social programs like Mothers Against Drunk Driving. Some people said, oh, like, you know, billboards. Yep. Um, what about his parents? What have we done as parents? And somebody said, well, I told my kids, I don't want you drinking. But if you do, you call me. You do not get behind the wheel. I will come pick you up. You will not be in trouble, but do not get behind the wheel. So we had a great conversation around that. When it came to opening, we looked at the, at the jurors, not me, of course, the, the attorney, and said, bars can prevent drunk driving, and the good ones do. You know, as parents, we've taught our kids, and he looked straight at the juror and he said, not to drink and drive. That if they drink, they call us, because we'd rather them be safe than dead. And tear just came down her face. I mean, that juror was like, oh my God, you have me. Now, why is that so, so strong? Because our opening was sourced from the very things the juror said. So I want to keep that clean. I may change my mind on the mini opening. I've been thinking about it a lot, but I want the jurors to give me all of their gifts. So then I can weave that into an opening that I give back to them. And they look at me and they go, I said that, that was something I said. And when you do that, I've not seen it not work yet. The jury, I mean, this was a conservative jury. We had three juries over the week and conservative Midland from Craigslist jurors. When we said we wanted hundred million dollars, they about fell off their chair. Every single jury that we had that week at the end said, can we give more? Can we give more? Why? Because it became their case. And that's what issue-oriented voidier does. It makes it about the jurors. It makes it about what they are there to do. It makes them feel important. Why? Because I'm sourcing it from them and giving it back. Okay, great question. Other questions? Hopefully that answered, Ken. If not, let me know. Has this been helpful? If so, I'd love to hear that too. 
Um, while we're waiting for questions, I'll tell you other ways to get involved. I am here in this group at least once a month, in addition to my little postings. Feel free, those of you who are new to the group, to post what you want, asking for an expert, asking for some help, asking someone to help you put an issue-oriented water together. We've got lots of H2H crew members in here that know how to do that very well. Um, of course, you can listen to the podcast uh, from hostageyourhero.com where I teach on all these things, get the book. But if you're interested in becoming a crew member, we open four times a year. We just closed in January for that open. That was a mini opening, but we'll be opening again in April. And that is a chance to get into the crew where we practice issuance of Wadir every month. We do nonverbal coaching every month. We do case workshop every month. We have mindset coaching every month. We have a live training every month. It's a really great place to, to be and practice. You're welcome, Ken, my friend. Thank you. Other questions that you have? I know it's a lot of information to give and, and a different way to think about Wadir. And again, I wanna just continue to reiterate, we're not, not kicking off our badgers. It's just, we're walking through a different door. We're, we're doing the, the tryouts, right? And we're seeing where the good players are and the players who don't wanna play or are terrible players, of course, are not gonna get on our team. It's just in this way, we're also looking for for the goodies, the people that are, are going to become those heroes. Because I have found the more that we make the jurors involved, and by the way, this takes a lot more trust of the jurors. You know, Michael Cowan of um, Trial Lawyer Nation podcast, an excellent a trial attorney in San Antonio, Texas, he just posted a um, video on the H2H crew yesterday where he talked about how he was preparing for trial. And he said, um, he, this time was so different than any other time because of the, all the mindset work he's done and how he trusts the jury, he trusts the judge. And he knows that once they hear his story, that that the people that are there to help will help. And, and I, I say this in the book, I say what we focus on, we create. Go looking for bad jurors, that's what you're gonna find. Go looking for people who can help you and they'll show up. I know they will. I've seen it happen over and over again. This is not a Pollyanna thing. We're gonna come armed with who these people are and we're gonna throw off the people who don't fit our profile. But we definitely, definitely want to be looking and believing that there are people out there because I really believe that juries are the, are the thing that are shaping the world that we're living in. And we need to tell them that. They are the people that get to shape how we, we live in society and what we think is right or wrong. And that's a big job. And once they get that, because through our issue range of what year, not just us telling them, they wanna step up because they wanna have a part in their communities and in, in, the, in the role that they play. Mike is asking, adjust to individual voir dire. Um, yeah, so this works, for, like, let's say, I remember in Rick Friedman's propofol case that I was there assisting on, we, that he was only allowed, um, uh, juror by juror voir dire, which is terrible. Although I love that judge, love you, but um, I know her personally. <laughs> I don't know why she did that. But um, once we were done with one, couldn't talk to them. They couldn't talk to each other, that whole thing. So, so that does negate the group aspect. I, I, I'm not super concerned, nor do I think it works to hide our good jurors. I, I just... I just don't think it works. I think even an individual, which I'm, I'm just sure is part of your question there, Mike. I think even in individual situations where you can only talk to one juror, the juror, other jurors are hearing, I'm assuming they're in the same room. If they're not, then it changes my answer. Now with Zoom, who knows? Um, 
and you're building a tribe that way. You're building a tribe that way, even because you're, you're showing what the group believes, even though they can't. So you can use some language. So you heard what this juror said. I'm, I'm interested in your, in your thoughts. Oh, so it sounds like you agree with, right? So you can use some group formation language, even if they're not allowed to talk to each other um, and so on and so forth. I would still use the issue oriented what you're absolutely to answer that question. Um, Ken is saying, we have 200 word mini opening, then juror questionnaires, then individual voir dire with initial questions read by the court. Lawyers get to ask follow-up questions. Well, that just sucks. <laughs> where are you, Ken, my friend? I wanna know where you should not be practicing law. No, we're glad that you're practicing law. Um, yes, so the jury questionnaires, I would make those as issue oriented as you could possibly get. Um, same with the individual questions, if you can submit those. And then your follow-ups is where it's all going to happen. By the way, I have another podcast episode on the three follow-up questions that you, you need, that you only need. You can have a two-hour, you can have four-hour, eight-hour conversation just using these three questions. And they are as follows. What was that like? Slash, what is that like? How important is or what's important about? And then, which is not a question, tell me more. Those three questions will get you follow-up. And especially with principle oriented, how important is perfect. So if you ask a juror, you know, and did you, did your insurance work with you? If let's say it's a bad faith case or something. And they, they said, no, they didn't. They made the, the process terrible. How important is that? That the insurance companies make that, that, that an easier process. Oh, it's a great way to get to a principle. Paul, I'm still concerned about not being able to have some bad jurors left on the panel. Um, well, you might have some bad jurors left on the panel. And this isn't a guarantee that you only get your ideal jurors, my, my friend Paul, my, my, my adoring friend Paul. Um, and because you will, I mean, take again, take the anesthesiology case. We had a woman on there who was like, I mean, she didn't say this, but she might as well have been like, what was she wearing? You know, the woman who was molested while under anesthesia. I mean, she was just a terrible juror. We left her on. Why? Because the group inoculated her. They were like, every time she talked, they turned, they rolled their eyes. This is the power of group dynamics. Is that if you've got, especially if you don't need a, a if you need a, a non, um, what's the word that I'm looking for? Unanimous verdict, then you don't, then this wouldn't work. But if you only need nine out of three, you can leave some bad jurors on because you, your group's gonna carry the day. That's the power of group dynamics. So this, you know, I've never seen a jury ever, Paul, with this method or other, any, anything else where it was like, okay, all jurors are for us. It just doesn't work that way. There's going to be some that are or totally bad. You've got to read the group. In fact, if I do jury selection now, I don't do it that very much anymore. The only reason I'm there is to watch group dynamics because that is something that you need a really trained eye to do. Um, but y'all know how to do it now with your ideal juror profile. So I don't do it as much. Um, Pittsburgher. Oh yeah. Pittsburgh. I mean, hey, Pittsburgh. Uh, Mike Conley. And if they can't hear, then I would still use some of that language, uh, Paul, and I'd bring it in. So you can say, thank you for coming. Let's say they're bringing in one at a time for or on Zoom. So we were talking with some of the, your fellow jurors, use that kind of group language uh, about this principle. And we've heard, um, we've heard a variety of things. We've heard this and we've heard that. Uh, where are you with that? Oh, okay, that matches with the, you know, so you can do some of that, you know, we're all kind of talking about this issue and this is kind of what we're hearing. Where are you with that? I wouldn't say this is what we're hearing yet until I hear what they have to say. And I said, ah, that's very similar to what we've heard before. Wait till they say it. But there's some, there's some group formation things you can be doing there too. It's harder, 
for sure. Another podcast episode Chrissy can drop in is how to form a group over Zoom. So I've got, I've got that. Other questions? Has this been helpful? Yes, no? And I will always say that um, my method, if anything, I almost hate calling it a method, is that, that there's no hard and fast rule for anything or everything. Um, when Keith was here the other day, he was saying that, you know, he goes right for the badgers at the beginning because he doesn't have much time. And there's time for that too. So you know, you take all of this with a grain of salt. You guys have had your instincts trained out of you enough by everything out there. I don't want to be another jury consultant that does that. You are the, the expert on your case. Um, this is just, I think, a way to engage and make the case about the client or about the jurors and really have some fun. People love issue-oriented voir dire. Um, Coach June in the in the membership was saying that he does issue-oriented voir dire from the very beginning and it informs everything. It informs his depositions, it informs everything. That document, I'm telling you, you know, most of you wait till the last minute and put your voir dire together, but that document makes everything easier in the entire trial because now you know what beliefs you're after and that helps everything. This is delicious. Vicki, do you know me or what? Because I say that all the time. Love it. Hey, Lena, love you. And thank you. Great. All right. Well, we are at the hour. Again, if you want to get an H2H crew, which is rocking. A lot of those people are here. They get me all the time. They're here. <laughs> um, go to it from hostagetohero.com. Get on the wait list so you know when it opens again in April. We have so much fun over there. Yesterday, we had a whole training on saboteur. I'm about to post a video on there for you H2H folks. So make sure that you're over there today to watch my video, your video assignment. Okay. Well, that's it for uh, February, March. I'll be back. If there's something you want to hear about in March, just let me know. I'm happy to talk about anything in these free Facebook lives. So if you're like, sorry, there's something in the book or group dynamics or, you know, jury leaders, let's talk about it. Just um, post in the group and we will chat there. All right, love you, my friends. Sorry about my mishap, but I kind of like my badass hair. I don't, I don't like when it's gonna fall out. I'm not sure I'm gonna love the baldness, but I do like this. Very easy to get ready. All right, my friends, love you all. Talk soon. Thanks for joining me today. If you benefited from what we talked about or just wanna let me know you enjoy the podcast, go ahead and leave me a review on whichever platform you use to listen to From Hostage to Hero. Add a comment and I just might give you a shout out on an upcoming episode. In the meantime, head over to fromhostagetohero.com to order your copy of my book, From Hostage to Hero, Captivate the Jury by Setting Them Free. And to get on my mailing list, I send out trial tips and encouragement right to your inbox every single week. And while you're there, make sure you join the waitlist to become an H2H crew member when we reopen. We only open a few times each year and you do not want to miss out. I look forward to our time together in next week's episode. Talk then.